Here we go. <clears throat> John Curley's Sherry Elliker Show. Starring Sherry Elliker and... Take it. Eat those carrots. <laughs> Liza Minnelli. Thank you. Caught him in the middle of a little carrot. <laughs> Better than a big carrot. True that. True that. Dive it in. All right. Sherry sounds tired today. It's because she was up all night watching the Oscars for God knows what reason why. <laughs> Bizarre even to me. I don't know why. I, I never watch. I don't care. I saw two movies, uh, the everything, whatever that is all at once. That mm-hmm. one, I turned it off after 20 minutes because I gave me a headache. I didn't know what was going on. And then Tar. Um, oh, yeah. Which had no real plot. I With mean, the it didn't dance, but the- it had a dance. Not Tar, no. Tar was Lydia was the Tar. Indian the one with the pin- dance thing. That, that is know. a film called R R R, I believe. Is what oh, you're that's R, not Tar. Tar R R. Tar Tar Tar. And that's the extent of our Oscar coverage, everybody. Thanks for trying to get. Did yeah, Tar give so, you a headache too? Uh, it, it really didn't have a plot until like about an hour. It was two hours and thirty-eight minutes long, and it maybe an hour and a half into it, it started to. Form something, but it was it was really boring. I mean, it was so many classical music references that if you didn't know classical music, and I don't, um, you really got were lost. I mean, it was just this whole weird thing. But Kate Blanchett, she's one of my favorites. Oh, she was okay. terrific. Wouldn't you simply die without Mahler? What? Gustav Mahler. Wouldn't you simply die without Mahler? Oh. <laughs> I'm sure that was in there somewhere. I still don't understand it. I still don't know who he is. Got it. Uh, do you understand what happened with the banks? Yeah, I think, I think you know, it was a pretty scary time for a lot of people that invested a lot of money in that bank. And that was their startup money. That was everything. I was talking and- to a friend of mine. I wanted to get him on the air, but he says he refuses. He's a friend of his that was on the phone in his private jet. So I feel sorry for him. And he is texting the bank and trying to move 45 million out of the bank while he's on the while he's in the air that's a life boy that is that is a life i'm wait leave me alone i'm trying to move 45 billion yeah get the no no uh, million million just 45 million million, oh, okay, million out of the bank million. but okay. don't worry the oldest man we ever elected to the office and uh, is declining mental health Here he is. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Mm -hmm. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. Mm -hmm. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. All right, so he says taxpayers aren't going to bail him out, but that's not true because somebody's going to have to pay. No losses will be, and I want, this is an important point, no losses will be borne by the taxpayers. No. Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Where do the fees will, come Where do the fees come I, from? I was going to say, who will then pass it on to the consumer, right, which is the, the taxpayer. Fees. Where do yeah. the fees come from? Let me think. Okay, to the, okay fees. The banks... Pay fees. I guess they. So it's either a. It's like a magic rabbit that poops these fees. I think it's like fees. a hmm? maybe a bank sale or a tree. A, um, nope. But still, if it was a bank sale, if it was a bake sale, yeah. Somebody has to buy the brownies. So don't forget the fees. 
The bank's going to pay oh. the fees to see what they have to do. They got to pay a certain amount has to go into, and it sits in this trust fund or this fund. I don't know how many two hundred and some billion or twenty two trillion, whatever, some huge amount of money sits there. And then when they say FDIC insured up to two hundred fifty, that's the money that's in this. The banks pay into this thing that basically allows the government to back, right? To back the money, right? right. And yep. it comes from bank fees. So bank fees, that's ATM. So rather than paying $3 or 4 to take money out, they'll charge you more. They'll charge you more for overdrafts. They'll probably charge you more for this. So it's you, the taxpayer, will back these banks. Because of the actions of that because of the actions that our regulators have already taken, every American should feel confident that the deposits will be there if and when they need them. Mm-hmm. You don't want a bank run. In fact, I saw Tom Massey. He's from Kentucky. He was on a call today, and somebody on the call, I forget which senator or congressman said it, can we get in touch with social media? And can we ask social media to take and block any information that's regarding... Uh, banks that would cause a bank run. Can we get in and block Twitter and block Facebook so that people don't panic and start to run over and jump into the banks and try to try to get the money out of the bank? So um, I don't know if that went anywhere. All right, what happened to bank management? Second, oh, the management of these banks will be fired. Uh oh, if the bank is taken Wait a minute, over there's by a whole, FDIC, whoa, whoa, hold on, there's a whole lot of like first lesbian, gay, black, in there's a lot of people in that bank mm-hmm. that are part of the DEI clan. Uh, you really gonna fire them? The people running the bank should not work there anymore. Okay. Third, oh, three. investors in the banks will not be protected. They knowingly took a risk, and when the risk didn't pay off, investors lose their money. That's how capitalism works. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, by the way, going to blame Trump. During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, mm-hmm. including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Unfortunately... The last administration rolled back some of these requirements. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again. Okay. <sighs> okay, it's not about that. It, you dry, you keep the interest rates at zero, and so money's very, very cheap. These guys took a certain percentage of the money that people were investing, and they stuck it into government bonds, say at 3%. As the interest rates go up, um, and the bond becomes worth less. You could refinance the bond and buy a higher bond, which as the interest rates go up, but they couldn't. They weren't they weren't dumping it. So they would buy the bond that was projected a certain percentage interest rates went up, the thing was only worth one percent, or then it was worth nothing. They had a bunch of bonds, government bonds. So one, the first mistake is your uh feds kept money cheap. Then you, Mr. Uh, Biden and Mr. Trump, you guys injected almost five and a half trillion dollars into the economy, basically creating worthless money. There was nothing behind it. So you then flooded it. So in effect, what you did is you kept the interest rates low. The banks took advantage of low interest rates. Everybody was making money. And then when you all of a sudden start to jack interest rates up to try to get all that extra money out of there that you've injected into the economy because of the COVID canard, then the money became worthless. So then people started to realize, oh, my gosh, we're losing a lot. We better get out of here. So this bank and then the other one, what's the other one that's going down to? There's a whole bunch that are in trouble. 
Yeah, the other one was a New York bank. Um, I will find it in one minute. Well, right. um, mm-hmm. You know what I thought was funny mm. is that Jen Psaki was on, I don't know which channel or whatever, and she made the comment that um, Joe Biden is a night owl and he never gets up before 9 o'clock. And the fact that he made this announcement before the markets opened was really significant because it means it that's it's that important. No, he, he no, he doesn't. I don't want to misquote her. It's not that he doesn't get up before nine. He doesn't start to like really do stuff right. before nine. So he gets yeah. up. He has a cup of coffee. He meets with Dr. Jill Biden. She tells him what day it is, where he is, where his socks are, stuff like that. And then he starts working after nine. So, yeah, she's like, wow, the fact that he's speaking about this shows you how serious it's taken. Signature bank is not even a night owl because he goes to bed early. Then she also said he goes, you know, early to bed, early to rise. Well, you're not a night owl if you go to bed early. Right. Um, He goes to bed around whatever, nine or something like that. And then he starts working sometime after nine. So that's he's on the deal. I think this guy, what's his name? Mr. Mr. Wonderful. Is he from Shark Tank? He is, yeah, yeah. yes. He's uh, he's from Shark Tank, and he um, his ke- name is Kevin O'Leary, yeah. and he, he explains says, it. He, I have yeah. him. You want to hear what he says? Yeah. Here we go. The reason this bank went to zero is a very old-fashioned reason. Here we go. Poor management. The management here bet billions of dollars when the, we had historically low rates basically sitting under 2%. They bought long paper, and then all of a sudden when the Fed jacked up the rates, their cost of borrowing was 4%. They were losing the spread. They were losing 30%. So they bought in all their old debt, lost $2 billion, assumed they can go to the market to raise it, got a lead order from General Atlantic for half a billion. That's not enough. They were in a quiet period. They're not allowed to talk about it. And every one of our companies was pulling out cash by the millions. And they couldn't even make a comment because they were in a quiet period. At some point, you have to point a finger at somebody. And I blame the board and I blame the management that this bank is a zero. A zero. How many of those guys that were in the bank that were in there in the management position sold all their stock prior to? I think a lot of them did. It would be interesting the feds go after them. Here's his advice for anybody. I've told all my portfolio companies I do not want to see more than 20% of any of our liquid assets in any one institution. People felt that way about Bear Stearns. They felt that way about Lehman Brothers. Banks blow themselves up all the time because of weak management or management mistakes. This happens. So you need diversification, not just of your holdings in terms of portfolio assets. You need institutional diversification. I do not want to see a single one of my portfolio companies with more than 20%, and my CEOs know that now, and they're making adjustments. I want to point something out that you probably don't know, Uh but the Silicon Valley Bank told many of these startups if they wanted to attract good loans, they had to have all of their deposits with the Silicon Valley Bank. So many of these startups that took down 10, 20, 30 million dollars from venture capitalists like me put it all in that one bank to attract and get these loans from the Silicon Valley Bank. That was the hook they had. I think that should be made illegal. That's a marketing strategy that forced an over-concentration, and I'm sure the regulator will look at that. This is an absolute mess, and at a time when we don't need it, and I'm blaming the management in case I didn't bring that up for the last three times. You know, he also said, he said that the black swan swims in somewhere. When he's referring to that, he talks about, you know, the black swan theory. The black swan can also be something bad. He said it only takes one jerk, one fool, to make a couple of bad decisions that sends the the banks, uh, you know, 
tees up, and that's the end of it. And he also says that this the problem now is that the government is going to come in and take over and regulate all these banks. Uh, and the heavy hand of the government over-regulating the bank, the bigger banks will be perfectly happy with this because the regulations will be almost unaffordable for smaller banks. So you'll have just big, big banks again gobbling up some of these others because of the you're basically going to be in bed with the government determining what's going to happen. So he said, you know, let's just so forget about it. He's telling everybody, don't invest in banks. So if you look online, you can see you're following the market. These banks are losing 50% down in shares. You look at the stock market. People are pulling out of these banks realizing, I just don't feel safe having my money in that bank. So there you go. They, I saw over the weekend, everybody's panicked. thinking, oh, the bank, the bank, you lose all this money. A bank scare, a bank run is pretty frightening for people, right? Mm-hmm. You just rush down there and try to get your money. Of course, the bank doesn't have your money. It's that famous lines from A Wonderful Life. You know, your money's not here. Your money's in the Jenkins house or the Johnson's house. It's not here. We don't keep the money here. Uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart trying to let people know, no, calm down, everybody. Calm down. Uncle Charlie, what much money we got? You know, and people are there. I'll take 10 bucks. I'll take five bucks. All right, all right. Just calm down. Here's your money. Kind of stop them from doing the run on the bank. And that's, I don't, man, I can't imagine what it's like for those people realizing I got to get my money out of there, get my money out of there. But the president says, don't worry. We'll make sure that you get your money. Oh, it's not going to be, we're not going to, don't worry, it's the taxpayers aren't going to pay for it. It's just going to be the fees. Mm-hmm. Well, 20 regional banks uh, were hit with trading halts today. Okay. Wells Fargo dropped 7.5%, Bank of America 74 Citigroup 58 and uh, J.P. Morgan 27 mm. So it's a pretty, pretty scary time. By the way, Kevin O'Leary said that he got most of their money out of that um, the, the Silicon Bank However, they did lose about $10 million. But he said in the grand scheme of things, with the portfolio, you know, that's not that bad. Mm. Put your money into bowling alleys because now, according to this piece, when when it comes to, you know, like when it's surge pricing. So if everybody wants an Uber, your price of Uber goes up. So the same thing's going to happen. Bowling for $418? Yeah, it's called dynamic pricing. And what that does is it allows you to have the flexibility of scheduling something maybe in advance, but you're going to pay a premium for it. So, for instance, the $418 that this guy tried to uh, he tried to book a, a couple of lanes for his family uh, on short notice. Mm-hmm. And the or- normal rate would have been about 200 bucks. But because he did it on such short notice and he wanted these particular lanes or whatever, they doubled the price. Uh-huh. And what they say is that, you know, you you actually are, you know, getting more selection. So, for instance, there's dynamic pricing in movie theaters now. You get to select where your seat is. And you pay a little bit more for it, but if that's where you want to sit, that's where what you have to pay for. Sure. Um, restaurants are doing it. Sometimes they're doing it by the hour based on demand and what they have, you know, available. So they don't do it by quite that much, but it's 10 to 15%. But people are pushing back because they're saying something like a movie theater, that's Democrat. That's always been Democratic seating, right? You get there early enough, you get the best seat. You don't, shouldn't have to pay extra for it, but everybody's taking full advantage of this and trying to, squeeze out as much money as they can from the consumer. But how about discounts for people that don't mind sitting next to people that are on their phone the entire time? That's a good idea. So if you want to sit in an area that's normally illuminated by people on their phone, texting, talking, maybe they even have a talking section where people are talking the whole time during the movie. Or maybe people have seen the movie before and giving away the plot if there is one, like in Tar. 
Maybe you could sit over in that section. Well, the people that crunch popcorn, break it up. Uh-huh. Make it make some cheaper areas too for other people. Yeah, you could have economy seating in the uh, in the movie theater, and sure. it could be based on annoyance factors and things like that. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it's people like, I love this guy. He's he, there's. Did you see that video of him where he's and and they're like, you get, I, you can, I can hear you. Uh-huh. Where the person's oh, on their if- phone, and you can see that they're lighting up the whole movie because they're texting something like, "Oh my god, I'm watching this minute. I can't believe it. I can't." Or the person I, huh? who can't hear half the thing. What did they say? What, oh, did, yeah. what did they say? Yeah, that's my dad. Huh? Oh. <laughs> huh? Huh? Like, oh my god! I saw Unusual <laughs> Suspects. Is that the name of the movie? Yeah, Usual Suspects. Yeah, usual, was it usual Suspects. Usual Suspects. Yeah, it was the last <laughs> movie I saw with my father. Who is Mr. Pink? I'm like, Dad, Dad, Dad. Isn't that it? Mr. Pink and Mr. White? Is that what it was? Huh, anybody? Uh, huh? Huh? I've yet to watch suspects. it. Yeah, look quick. Somebody. Uh, I, um, hang My on. father lost his hearing. He never really had a church whisper anyway. Wasn't Pink and White on Pulp Fiction? Mm. Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir, oh, Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. That's it. Yeah. That was it. That was the last movie you saw with him? With my dad, yeah. Okay. Because he's so loud. Uh, who's Mr. I can't keep the color straight. I'm like, shh, dad. And, and Mr. White was Breaking Bad. <laughs> now, now I'm lost. All right. Yes, Aaron. Because the U.S. is playing the rest of the world in baseball. Aaron's all excited. He looked up and goes, oh, no. Judge Judy's on. <laughs> well, I thought the game was going to be on Fox. I thought yeah, I, saw I didn't say, yeah. Judge yeah but uh, it says Judge Judy. Got it. Got it. Thanks. Uh, I had dinner with a good friend of mine on Saturday, Sherry, and halfway through the story, he looked at me and goes, Oh, God, Curly. You going to tell this story on the radio? I was like, Bill? Yes. <laughs> yes, I will. He's like, Okay. But not... Well, okay, well, good, all right, because most people in Cleveland can't hear your show, so that's fine. Do you need any music for this story, John? Um. Yeah, but should we wait and like, let me find some good music for? Because it's a good story. I mean, it's your first day back after you're a little rusty on the music. I, I went pull the music. Bit, yeah. yeah, it's a good story. Sure, you'll like it. Okay. First of all, I don't necessarily. I mean, I'm a guy that does tend to give gift cards that I forgot to get credit on. But uh-huh. the wedding gifts now that apparently people are saying, no, you don't have to bring gifts. It's a difficult economic time for so many of our guests. We don't want to burden them, so don't bother bringing get gifts. And then wedding coordinators, when if somebody does happen to bring a gift, they're probably over the age of 50, they bring a nice gift. It's all wrapped up in silver with a big bow. The wedding coordinator will run over and grab it off the table and hide it so that people don't feel bad that they didn't bring a gift. Yeah, it's... Uh, Wait, I'm not finished. Hold on. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Okay, go ahead. Okay. Evite uh, said that about 4% um, of, of invi- Evites or whatever they are say no gifts. That's an 18% increase over 2022. Uh-huh. And like you said, people are concerned about the economy and concern- uh, concerned about inflation. The average person spends about $470 on going to a wedding. 
And that's about 160 of that is on a gift because you're supposed to, I think the calculation is something like you're supposed to figure what it cost them for the dinner or uh-huh. something like that. So if two of you are going, then it's, you know, at least $200 you're going to spend on the gift. Okay. And so, it, you know, people are now writing all these different things on the Evite saying, you know, no, thank you. Please don't send a gift. Um, you don't have to feel you know, any pressure to do so. But like you said, then the wedding planners, there are people that are still very traditional. They want to bring a gift and then they usher them away quickly. So people are not, you know, upset. Well, let's see. Mom and dad going to put on the wedding. It's 35 bucks per person for food, assume. There's one. 35. I think it's a little more than that. (laughs) It's a lot. Per person. At least. Yeah. At least. That's just for the food. That doesn't include. Just, okay, so the venue's twenty five thousand. The food is thirty five bucks per person. Then you get the wine and the booze and everything else. So they're paying a hundred and some bucks per person, depending how many people are there. And you can't bring a gift. You know you're going to drink and eat probably at least a hundred dollars worth. And then you're going to dance. Um, you're going to get a probably a four or five hour if it's a fun wedding and you like who you're going to go see, and you're going to see other people there. It's a night out. And or a day out, and you can't throw an extra com- couple hundred bucks in and buy a gift. And I don't like the fact that this this tradition is going away. There have been other times where the economy has actually been worse, right? And people still brought still brought gifts. Don't give people a break on this thing. Believe me, they can afford it if they needed to. They would find you a gift. They bring the gift. But all of a sudden, say, well, it's a tough time because when would you ever bring it back again? Once it goes away, it goes away. Well, this is what one couple said. Now, what would you interpret if you saw this on their invitation? We are minimalists who are fortunate to have everything we need. We have opted out of having a registry. Celebrating with you is the greatest gift we could ask for. So I'd say, okay, if they were left at that, that's great. Uh-huh. Perfect. Okay. I, I would I would oblige. Okay, they really so they're don't both in their gifts. 40s. It's the second However, wedding. It's, the, it's their second wedding. No, they're young. However, here's okay. the part that All gets right. you. Okay. If you are so inclined, mm. we would welcome any contribution to our future savings, but please don't feel obliged. Okay, right That's there true. is your the guilt factor. It's yeah. like, oh, okay. But if you, you know, if you if you are not rude, then please contribute to our, you know, future. Yeah. And we went to a wedding not too long ago and the they wanted um money for their honeymoon. Uh-huh. Um I, I think asking for cash is abundantly tacky i really do because then you really are asking the person to show exactly how much they spent i mean we gave them like three or four hundred bucks yeah but it was you know i mean i I just think that's tacky yeah i I don't know i went to a jewish wedding my roommate in college was jewish and i remember they passed this like hat around or this like uh, velvet bag and everybody puts money in and this guy uncle i don't know jerry was like he wanted to hand it to the to the groom, um, and he said uh, he he made a big deal about it. Uh, this is for you for you I give you this Jerry this is you put it put it away don't don't embarrass your uncle and the guy just takes the money and puts it in his pocket well you put it in your pocket you 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 you, you, you want to shame me and the guy goes to pull it back out again to show everybody that. Put it away, put it away. Don't make a big deal. Don't make a Can't big win. deal. And the guy's like, staring with the money goes, just please, please, please. I'm not trying. Just put it away. He says, put it back in his right pocket again. What, what are you embarrassed by your uncle? I was like, oh, my God, this is going to go on all night. Um, 
I got married the first time, because you're only married the first time once. And driving from Grand Junction, Colorado to Uray, Colorado to spend one night at our honeymoon, because that's all we could afford at the Wiesbaden Hotel, there was a card from my dad. And I waited till we were about halfway to Uray, about a four-hour drive. And my nervous bride held it in her hand, and I said, God, if he gives us 10000 oh, my God, they're just out of debt. He could easily give us ten. If he give us $10,000, just because t- I know he's going to give me a check. The check would be so great, because then all of a sudden we get all that debt out of there. I can get the brakes fixed on the car. I was driving a 1962 Volkswagen Bug, and the master cylinder had broken on the brake. So I had to slam it against the curb to slow it down or pull the emergency <laughs> brake or shift it into second gear. Couldn't get it into first. It was going too fast. So I'd stay in the right-hand lane, and to slow it down, I'd rub the tires against the curb on North Avenue heading over to the TV station. So after a while, while driving, she said, I'm going to open the envelope. And I said, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is, God, 10,000, 10,000, 10,000. My father's wealthy. 10,000 would be good. 10,000 wouldn't even hurt him. You wouldn't even feel it. She reaches in and pulls out a note and a check. The check is folded. And the note says, I would have given you 3,000 but the flight cost eight ninety five. The hotel was hundred and sixty, and the rental car was ninety one. And he subtracted all that off of the three. And with that, she burst into tears. And I said, "Well, well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on." The bright side is there was a continental breakfast there at the Hilton. So he didn't have to pay for that. <laughs> no more deductions. So let's look at the bright side. Oh, boy. Did she ever talk to your father again? No. Oh, really? No. She wasn't a big fan to begin with. Oh, okay. But okay. I remember the subtraction on the thing. And then it was a weird number. It was like, I don't know, $1,752.37 or something. Oh, God. Oof. And, but you talked to your dad again. Oh, yeah. I remember calling oh, him oh. A, about a year later. We were so far in debt because we kept spending money on nothing. You know, we'd move. We'd have a moving expense. Washer, dryer would break at this rental house. We had $19,300 in debt within a year and a half. She brought some debt in the family, but it wasn't. We just lived. We didn't have anything. I'm not a pot to pee in. I called him up. I said, Dad, I'm on a Discover card, and I'm paying like 21%. Can I... Can you take the debt and I'll pay you 15%? Silence. Six, 16%, even that would help us. Silence. Dad, 17% and, 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 I, and I'll start payments right away. He said, your decision to quit your job, your decision to go into TV, your decision to get married, your decision to move from town to town, your decisions, your debt, goodbye. And he hung up. And 10 years later, I said to him, that was the greatest gift you ever gave me. Oh, that's generous. Seriously, though, because if he had paid it off, what lessons would I have? Oh, my God, look what time it is. Jeez, Nate, I'm sorry. It's Andrew's fault. It's Andrew's fault with the music and everything. <laughs> All 
righty. Remaining time here. Uh, by the way, so I tell that story about uh, having that gigantic debt when I first got married. And uh, I told her it was $19,000 some dollars. And uh, when I called my dad and asked him for a loan to try to pay down that Discover card. And when he said no, why did you seem that? Would, why were you so upset when he said no? And I said it was the greatest gift he ever gave me when he said no. Don't you understand that? Uh, I, I, yes, in hindsight, I guess, yes. But it does seem a little bit harsh that if your child is in need and that you could help them out that you i mean my parents had a an opposite approach i mean they they probably helped us too much you know they were always willing to give us money bail us out do whatever we needed to do and it was i mean it it worked to our benefit we knew we would always have to work we knew we would always have to um make sure we were you know responsible and hardworking right. and all of that but um but yeah they were incredibly generous with cars and money and tuition and everything. So it's, uh, (laughs) it's just, it's just, I mean, I feel bad for you at that time. No, no, no. I remember exactly where I was. I was in this little desk at WGAL TV. It was a red phone. Remember that? And I hung up the phone and I took a deep breath and was just sort of stunned, but I kind of knew it was a risk to ask. But I think what he felt was, that if you can get through this, you'll learn a lesson from this. Me writing you a check and me taking the, the onus and the pressure off of you and then you may paying me back, may or may not. He just thought, nope, I'm going to make you learn this one on your own. So I went home. I I told Paula and she said, well, I got to get a better paying job. So off she went to Boston and she got a part in a play. And uh, they had a per, per diem for her, and she lived in the Back Bay section on Commonwealth Avenue, and she did a play, like, I think she did eight shows a week or something. And once a month, or maybe once every two months, I'd fly up to uh, Boston to see her. And, you know, I'd, she would, I'd get there at 10 o'clock. I'd make it to the theater by 10.30. I would see the last two songs. We'd walk home, and then uh, the next day she had a show a matinee, so I'd see her for a couple of hours on Saturday. Saturday night she worked. I'd fly out Sunday morning. So for the first two years of our marriage, we paid down all that debt. Every month, she'd send me a check, and I'd take a check, and we'd send it off. Pay it all off. And we did it two years later. Well, I, you know, I was no stranger to, to poverty. I mean, even though my parents... Sure, we're, we're out of time for you and your poverty <laughs> story. Why don't you talk about but, more about your dad and mom buying you cars and mink no, coats but and I'm, jewelry. I'm, what I wanted to say was... Hot what I wanted to Sherry. say was... What I wanted to say was that those times as well, for me, were some of the best times of my life. When the struggle was was horrible and it was really, really hard to do it, but... We got through it, and we did. We did okay, and even you know, my parents did help us, you know, a bit. But mm-hmm. it was I. I know what you mean. There was something about that accomplishment of getting out of debt, of having jobs, of go- getting to the next yeah, level. Yeah. It's big. Yeah, it's big. I love you. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> one, one big dog to say he loves you. Yes, please. <laughs> All right. There we go. Okay. Thank you. I know you need to be reaffirmed. Yes.